Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Lech Lecha, covering Genesis 7 to 12 through 17, and also the passages we picked up in John 8 and Galatians 4 and the Hall of Faith chapter there in Hebrews chapter 11. Um, some of what we see here in the first part, the first section you might say is Genesis 12 through 14. And that particular section, you could almost if you were to have a synopsis of it, could say, well, these are like fits of faith and fear because you see that it's the vacillating between faith, faith in the Lord and what the Lord is saying, and fear, fear that uh, you, know, you, you are not going to be able to make it through to the promise that you've been given. And... As you see going on into Genesis 12, you see the, the great instructions there are, okay, lech lecha, which is get going. You know, because one of your, uh, your quick little Hebrew lesson, when you see words in Hebrew um, repeated, they tend to be at Hebrew's form of like underlining and bold facing. So they tend to emphasize it. Another example that's a common one is uh, Shabbat Shabbaton. And you'll see those together. It's usually translated in English as complete rest because that's the emphasize. Okay, it's a Shabbat. It's a Shabbat Shabbaton. It's stop, 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 stop. So that's where you get those together. So Lech Lecha is, hey, get going. You, we, we saw with the end of the last um, passage there with Noah that here you have they moved out of Ur out of the area of Mesopotamia the uh, you could say the where the modern day Tigris and Euphrates River are modern day Iraq is really where it is and they moved out of that area and they're moving toward Canaan Canaan to the the Holy Land. And, you know, if you see the pictures you've probably seen of like the Fertile Crescent, where it goes from the, um, from the, uh, the Gulf and the Persian Gulf, thank you. The Persian Gulf, where Iraq is, and it goes up and you'll see like a green thing and it comes down through modern day, um, that would be Lebanon, Syria, and down into Israel until it hits down into what the modern day, it's called the Gulf of Aqaba or the Sinai Peninsula in that area. And you see that the modern trade routes would follow that. So the common ways that people would go would be to follow the, the fertile area up where it's <laughs> good traveling and then go down into the Holy Land. So you see that they traveled a certain distance toward the land, towards Canaan, but then they stopped. And that's where Avram's father stopped 
he too was headed toward the land, but then he stopped. Now then Avram carried on that and moved forward. And as you see that moving forward, um, you'll, it's been long noticed that Avram in, in marrying uh, Sarai, as she was named at that point, that that was really a part of a family commitment. That's why you've got that sort of a close family relation, is that uh, she's saying that you're my sister is it's a half-truth because she's a half-sister in this. But there is some debate and long thought that this possibly could have been related to um, what later came to be known as the Leverite marriage. So in which case... The Avram was fulfilling his brotherly duty of keeping the family line going and perpetuating the family line and moving that forward. So Avram is moving out of his hometown. Now, when we say, okay, where are you from? You always get that question. You meet somebody, you say, well, where are you from? Well, what do you say? Where are you from? You name your city. Well, is that your hometown? What, is, what does hometown even mean anymore? Yeah, what, where, where you were born? So if, you know, if I'm meeting somebody, do I say, well, where are you from? Well, I'm from, um, I'm from New Jersey. Really? When was the last time you were there? When I was five. Okay, well... Is that where you're from? Well, I'm from Alaska. Really? Well, it was the last time you were there. Oh, 20, well, 20 years ago, living full-time uh, and um, visiting maybe almost eight, nine years ago. So am I really from Alaska? Well, where am I from? And right now, I'm living here in Sonoma County. So am I from Sonoma County? Well, because it depends on what's happening in Sonoma County. Do I want to claim Sonoma County as my hometown? So in that sense, we are, you could say, where are you from? Which gets us then into the question of, are you leaving your hometown? Why did you leave your hometown originally? From In my case, it was because... Of, and the way it happens in modern culture is you get a job. You get a job in a different place. My parents got a job in a different place. So we went from the East Coast to the West Coast. And then we went from the Southern California to Northern California. And then from Northern California, further moving around there in Northern California. And there it goes because you're following your job to a particular uh, place in a particular calling. But we see, as it's happened now in recent years, there's a different reason that why people are moving. And it's almost going back to the way, the reason why Avraham and his father were moving was because of what's happening in the particular area where you live. And you're like, this area where I'm living is just not a good place. It's not good for children. It's not good for um, society this and that and the other. So you're like, you're seeing a mass exodus. 
Even the term exodus, a seed of mass exodus out of a given area. And a lot of people have moved to other places. Other places that's um, in recent years, it's been maybe less crime, better jobs, uh, more freedom, you know, less sort of uh, playing in your affairs of your life with uh, the people in charge. So those things going on. And as is today, not much different from the ways in ancient times. In ancient times, the cultures were uh, very pervasive. And as we see in this particular passage we're looking at today, we see the encounter of the pervasiveness of the culture and how it wrapped around um, (laughs) Avram's relative there, Lot, and how it roped him in. Uh, yes, Alex, it, yeah, comments or a question. You know, when you get a letter from your garbage company, it's kind of a mass mailing that says, we don't think you've been sorting very well lately. <laughs> you know things are like, what? I got a new job. Oh, boy. <laughs> sorting my trash better. Yeah. Uh, wow. Or else. Yes. Yeah. Or else? Right? Yes. Yes. So, uh, Tammy has got a comment or a question over there. Yeah, Alex, just be glad you don't live in Korea because they would give you separate little trash bags. And not only would you have to sort between your plastic, your glass, your aluminum, and your compost, you'd have to put them out different days of the week depending upon when those are going to be collected. Yeah, they, they put even the have... the wrong thing out on the wrong day of the week, your apartment number is written on the bag, oh, yeah. and some busybody will bring it back to you and say, hey, yes. you put out your aluminum today. You're oh. supposed to put out your compost today, you idiot. And so we are just starting. It's just begun, Alex. Yes. So these are just uh, some of the particular... Uh, things that are causing people in modern times to to move and to move on. But really, it's same as it ever was, really. So, you know, you see in Avraham's life, one of the key things, very much like in the life of the Yeshua, Hamashiach, or Jesus the Christ, very similar you see that there are different destinations of where you can go. You can go to one place, you can go to the other place. Just like when Avram gave Lot the decision, which way do you want to go? We, we can't really live here together because um, it talks about, well, the land can't support us anymore. And one of the key one of the key indicators of that is what? Fighting. It was the fighting between the shepherds of the flocks. They were bumping heads with each other and fighting. Well, you see lots of instruction throughout the word about the causes of fighting. You know, you are not able to reconcile your issues together. You aren't looking out for each other. Contrast that with the the spirit or the attitude that was within Avram when he took on Sarai. It's like, hey, this is a part of the family legacy. I've not, I need to carry this on for my relatives. Well, with Lot's household, they were just locking heads with Avram's household. So 
that's one of the things that you see later on that gets codified as we move on through the Torah, where there is a, it seems like a, a, an instruction in passing, and it says, do not move your neighbor's boundary stones, which means don't, um, we, we, we use the same term today of boundaries. Hey, you're, you're, you're going over into my boundaries. You're moving my boundaries, which means what? You are not respecting what is somebody else's. You're not respecting then the other person, and you're locking horns with them. You know, I, I have to watch that in myself when I get very irritated with the people in my uh, job, my day job, and I start wanting to lock horns with them. Well, the problem is, is then what? I am now starting to move into their territory to attack them, even verbally, emotionally, whatever. And you have to then wait, oh, what am I actually doing here? You know, are we coexisting within our own boundaries, or am I just trying to move the other person's boundary back and push into theirs? So it's an important part of respect is the other person respects your boundaries and then you respect the other person's boundaries. Well, that was posing a problem there with Lot's and Avram's. So it's the decision. Okay, Lot, pick. Which way do you want to go? And (laughs) as the old proverb goes about the grass being greener, well, he saw the grass was greener there in the Yarden Valley. Um, if you were to say that today, um, not so much except for certain areas of the Yardan Valley, but bef- by, um, by this particular time, before you had the destruction of the cities of that particular plain, it was a great place to be. It was the, the garden spot. Uh, yes, uh, Rose. Discovery about that. Ah. You say the grass is greener. Grass is greener. Yeah, over the septic well, tank. here's a thought. It's still grass. Yes, still grass. Yes. Yes, uh, Christine. Thank you. I just wanted to um, piggyback off of what you said. It was the resources. Mm. It was the wells. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that sets up a pattern for us as well. That it does. And you see that happen later on in the family's history of, you know, Yaakov digs a well. People will say, hey, nice well. We want it. And he just leaves. Then he digs another well. And they go, hey, nice well. Well, well, well. And they took all of them. So he just is like, say, okay, well, if you, you see the Messiah then kind of talks about it in another sense of when he's sending out his uh, shileach or his apostles. And he's saying, well, if you're driven out of one town, we'll go to another town. So... Go to another town. But one of the things that uh, Yeshua is talking about with these destinations for our character, and one of those is, in the particular, they happen on the inside of us, even before they happen on the outside of us. Now, the old thing, I, I left my heart in San Francisco. Well, it's probably, it doesn't mean what it used to mean. I don't know if it ever meant what it, did but uh it certainly doesn't mean as much now but in a sense true you know if you have a particular longing 
within yourself for a particular place, it's very difficult to move you. Either move you out of a particular area or in a particular behavior that you get stuck in. You just want to be there. And there's a particular passage here in Matthew 22. It goes on starting in verse 23. On that day, some of the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Yeshua and questioning him, asking, Teacher, Moshe said, If a man dies having no children, his brother as next of kin shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers with us, and the first married and died, and having no children, left his wife to his brother, and also the second, the third, and down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had married her. But Yeshua answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection... They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken uh, spoken to you by God? I am the God of Avraham, the God of Yitzhak, and the God of Yaakov. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. But when the Pedershim heard that Yeshua had silenced the Sadducees, They gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the greatest, the great commandment of in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And if you just look at the parallel passage to this, which is found over in Mark chapter 12, um, verses 32 through 34, says, The scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly said that he is one, and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Yeshua saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. So, you see that kind of the, the, the parallel to that of this particular, uh, it's called the greatest commandment. And the second greatest commandment are both listed in here. The first greatest commandment is what we recite each Shabbat. It's from the Shema, from, from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And the second one there, you will love your neighbor as yourself. The full part of it from Leviticus 19.18 it says, do not hold a grudge against the person of the land, one of your, your neighbors of the land, but you will love your neighbor as yourself. So some people just say, well, oh, love yourself. I love to hug myself. I love to look at myself in the mirror. That's what it means to love yourself. Well, no, it's in the context of do not hold a grudge against your neighbor a person who is a person there in the land with you. And what does holding a grudge mean? 
you won't well yeah you won't let it go if somebody does something you don't let it go and it just does what inside of you it just eats you up it just burns and and just eats away with you uh lorella yes and comment or a question over there i think i've said it here before but Holding a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It does not work. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's that's a great aphorism. Wow. Love that one. Now, continuing on with this passage here in Matthew 22, uh, picking it up in verse 41. Now, while the Pedrashim were gathered together, Yeshua asked them a question. What do you think about the Mashiach? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David, he said to them, well, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? No one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question, because <laughs> that one is a whopper. That's a whopper of a question. And it gets to what we were talking about earlier with Melchizedek and what is a big topic of discussion in the New Testament letter of the Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, where you have that long discussion and the comparison between Yeshua, the Mashiach, the Messiah, and Melchizedek and that comparison. Well, then, if Melchizedek is this, well, then how much more one in the likeness of And Melchizedek there just serves as the pattern, the pattern for what was to come. Because as we've talked about previously, especially when we go over chapters three and four of Hebrews, is that the book of Hebrews is full of a argument that was common very much in Hebrew literature. And it's called, in Hebrew, it's called kal v'chomer, or light and heavy. And the framework of that argument, it goes, well, if this is true and you accept this and it is, it's considered a light matter or it's not as significant, well, then how much more is this, which is so much more significant? And that is what you see, the, the comparison between this figure Melchizedek that's mentioned just in passing there in, in Genesis and just briefly there in um, in the Psalms, well, then how much more is Yeshua in this regard? Yes, uh, go ahead, Christine. So um, Yeshua also practiced that in what are the weightier matters mm, on yes. healing on uh, Shabbat, right? What is a made, which one of you who has a lamb, etc. So that was really great. I didn't yeah. understand that. So what is that word again in rabbinical thinking? Yeah, it's... Call, call with light, vachomer, or and heavy. So, yes. And you see another one in the, in the Gospels where, um, where Yeshua is talking about, well, then one greater in, than the temple is here. So, and that's a teaching on the Shabbat. That is a call vachomer argument. Well, okay, you understand this about the Shabbat. Well, one greater than the temple is here. So, it's to say, okay, you accept this. You see this is true. Well, then, what if the one that, the is, that that is patterned after, who is far more significant, then is here? If you accept this, then you should accept this. 
And if you don't accept that which is weightier, why not? Because it is patterned. The, the, the lighter one is the pattern for the heavier one. And that actually is also what the discussion that goes on in Hebrews where it talks about the tabernacle, you know, the tent. It says, you build this as after what the pattern was shown on the mountain. So the pattern is the tent. But the tent is talking about the things that are happening in the throne room of God. So thus you see the discussion, whether it's the tent or the temple, you're obsessing over this building. It's not the building. The building is patterned after what the actual thing is. So thus when you see in Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48, the whole end of the book, it's like, well, it looks like architectural digest where it goes on on and on and on talking about the architecture and this many cubits this way and that way and talking about this. Well, when you get to the end of it, it's like this water flows out from the throne of God out of the building. It's like, it, it's like a water main breaks inside the thing. It's just gushing out of, of the building. Is it about the building? Is it about the water main? Is it just, oh, boy, somebody just forgot to turn off the main. They suddenly go down there and turn it off so they could stop the flowing. No, it's talking about this is what it's really all about. It is about the presence of the creator of heaven and earth flowing out into all the earth to give life, to give living water that which is actual life to all the world, to give the things that are salty water to make the salty water fresh water. But the weird thing is, as it mentions, as it gets to that climax there in 47, 48, is that it's going to encounter some stagnant pools that cannot be made fresh. And you see that same picture in the book of Revelation. Because those last chapters of Ezekiel patterned after like chapter 21, 22 of Revelation. See the same, almost the same dimensions mentioned in there. But you also see the last assault on the city of God. Like those brackish pools, the swamps that the living water flows to but they cannot be made fresh. So, why? Because those waters don't want to be fresh. And in, in the end, that's just the sad thing is, is that even if fresh water does come, they don't want it. They don't want to be fresh water. They don't want to be a place where you can make fish thrive. You like it the way it was, to be a swamp where nothing lives in it. So that is one of the, the, the sad realities in it, of it. Yes, uh, Alex. Um, yeah, throughout all this, it still comes back to a touchstone of a real place or real people. We're not Nirvana-based people, right? You know, we're going to go to that promised land in the sky. Not really. I'm going to show you the promised land. You're going to keep moving. Or returning to Jerusalem. Right. Uh, so it's not the ultimate. We're just going to go sit out in a field and just be spiritual, like my former rector 
All you need is love. You know, that's it. Oh, really? Well, give me a warm building with my friend, and then we'll take it from there. So there's there's always that touchstone of uh, of something a little more tangible. But yes. ultimately, yeah. it's the Spirit of God or Yeshua. Yeah, and that you really bring up a very a good point, because in this, just like the pattern that you have with the tabernacle, the temple, being the presence of God in the world, so thus you have a land, a place, that is a, you could say, the pattern of the dwelling place of rest, being the place of rest, being like when you go on a trip. You know, you go on a trip and sometimes you're just happy to get home. You need a vacation from your vacation. It's just so hectic and it's like, oh, I'm finally home. I can relax. That is what the the sense of home, the sense of the land is. You get into the land of Israel, and thus that is a sense, hey, I am home. But you know what happens in a home where the environment of the home just goes downhill? Do you want to stay there anymore? No, you want to get out of the house as much as possible. Even though it is home, it's not home. It's not rest anymore and thus that's what you see in chapter 17 of genesis where it's talking about this focus of hey you have this covenant you're even changing the names to get the the change of the name of avram to avraham the change of sarai to sarah and also it focuses in and says hey in this you have the promise of the land but it's only the promise of the land if you are staying with the agreement. You're staying with the one who is making this happen. Because if you're not on the same page, just like if you have a household where the people are at war with each other, then you do not have shalom, you do not have peace in that home that home becomes a, a, uh, a place where you do not want to go. You do not find rest there. Yes, Christine. So I think what I hear you say is it's not only the land, it's the land and the covenant. Yes. And so even if Those you're in the land, together. if you're in the land closer to uh, the garden that we were exiled from, even if you're in the land without the covenant, there is no shalom. Because what do you see later on in the Torah when it talks about when you see the chastisement for breaking the agreement with God? The land is going to do what with you? Vomit you out. Because it's a package deal. They, They go together. And thus, you see, like in the promise, in the great promise of the fulfillment that you see, like in Ezekiel 36, where you have the return this melding back together in Ezekiel 37, the dry bones coming back to life. That's great. But there has to be a return to the deal. The land has to have its covenant 
So thus, we as ambassadors with our walking embassy walking around, or is talk about the temple of the Spirit of God going around, where we are has to have not just the land, so to speak, carrying the little bit of the kingdom of God with us around, but also with the covenant of it. Because what is one of the things that you see in the prophets that rails against when the people of Israel through the exiles are dispersed out into the world? And it says that the name of the Lord is what among the nations because of you? Sully, blasphemed, it says. Blasphemed, and that just means to made common, made of nothing special. Made, yeah, it's nothing special. It's, it's a byword, even a word of derision. As you see that then foretold in um, what, when we left off with Deuteronomy at the end of it, where Moses is giving the farewell, and it says, hey, you're going to be separated, spread out into the nations. But because of the reputation of heaven, because heaven is the lifeline for the world, the world has no idea what is, what is coming upon it. No idea. It's just, it's lost without any sort of sense to what we just saw in the last couple of, of uh, Torah readings of better sheets. There is male and female. The world can't even say that. You have major leaders uh, that can't even make that determination. I don't know. I don't know what it is. And then with the passage of Noah, you know, hey, we see this evidence of mass uh, water movement all over the planet. How did that happen? That, I don't know. It just happened gradually. Uh, there were gradual this, gradual that. Maybe there was a cataclysm every so often, but nothing of any great detail. Nothing to worry about. Oh, you should worry about something else. You should worry about something else, but not of the sign of this mass destruction on the planet and how it got that way. You know, for example, when you, you go to a memorial, you know, for example, if you ever gotten a chance to go to a memorial of a battle, or something like that, and you see there's the memorial, and you see you read about it, and it's like, well, how did that happen? Where you could have this mass destruction of people and material and buildings and everything else. How did that happen? Well, you should learn as to why that happened. Not to then just say, oh, I'm just upset that it happened and move on. But why did it happen? And how did it get to that point? And then say, well, boy, I don't want that way to go anymore. And we saw that with the passage of Noah. That's one of the lessons that goes out into the world is that, hey, the covenant is that this is not going to happen this way again. But understand why it happened this way. The destruction is going to come a different way next time but it's going to come for a lot of the same reasons that it came the first time. Yeah, we, we didn't learn. But that is what the importance of this particular passage with the introduction of Avram, then Avraham, Abraham, 
is that this is an entrance into the world. You know, we have talked about it in the time of right around uh, in early June there with the remembrance of D-Day. And people have noticed D-Day was hugely terrible. But what did it do? It brought the end. It took almost a year after that. Almost a year of unbelievable, just mass mayhem and destruction. Because uh, you saw what happened, that the adversary at that particular time period wasn't going to go quietly and throw a tantrum and destroyed the entire country in the process. Generations destroyed. Huge destruction, just mass um, malevolence and hate and malice against huge groups of people in the process. Well, you say, okay, how did it get to this point? You basically, complacency. You take it seriously. There were those that saw it coming. Those who were awake saw it coming. They saw it coming. Whether it was Bonhoeffer that was seeing what was going on with the churches, where you started co-opting. Eventually, they started moving the cross off the altars and putting up portraits of the Fuhrer. Um, yeah, they saw it coming. And people who were awake said, oh, yeah, we know where this is headed. And there were some leaders that said, ah, we, we, we got to really pay attention to this. And yeah, happening again. And you see it going to happen on the global scale. And these things coming. In the days of Noah, with the ark being built, you should see, hey, something's going on here. Something's going on. Maybe we should pay attention. And even if you roll the tape back further into better sheets with Cain, hey, sin is crouching at your door. What are you going to do about it? Just going to, you know. And then suddenly it's gone from crouching at your door to in your house. Yes. <laughs> it, the call is coming from inside your house. Yes. That's, that's, that's the bad sign at that point. So, yes, the frogs are in your bed and in your fridge and all over the place. So thus, that we can see here is that this is a particular message that goes out, not only from the time of Avraham, but you see the Messiah telling the same message. Hey, there is a place that is home. There is a place that is rest. Do you see what the place of rest is and when it's coming? Do you see the time of tumult coming? Do you see the signs of it? Not just out there, but inside yourself. Do you see those signs of tumult inside yourself? If you talk about uh, to people who go through some sort of recovery program, that's one of the things that they get into your skull is see your tumult coming and then do something about it. Get to that point where you're like getting the message of Cain. Hey, your sin is crouching at your door. It wants to have mastery over you. What are you going to do about it? 
They're just going to say, oh, and just be overtaken or. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Christine, go ahead. Really great information that you're bringing us, you know, and I think it always should start with us first, right? It's so easy to look outside the world, and um, the, this is a living words that we've been given that is supposed to transform us. So, you know, putting to death the flesh, the nefesh, you know, do I, am I a beast that was created on the sixth day? Or am I an image bearer of Elohim, you know, on the sixth day? Am I going to rock? Which part? Every day I think. Am I going to eat like a beast? Maybe. You know, so there's always those, t- you know, decision making. And yes. really and that, great how you're bringing it and that together. And is, that is one of the key things about what Paul's getting at with the, the flesh and the spirit. Are you going to be like the flesh? that gravitates toward the tree of knowledge of good and bad? Or are you going to be like the spirit where you are gravitating towards the tree of life? You know, you may not think it's going to give you wisdom to live out your day, to be able to choose between good and bad, but it actually does. Going after the knowledge, the great experience, the so-called Rasputinism where you you say, well, I become the greater deliverer by just experiencing debauchery in its fullest. So I can just experience the, the, the whole spectrum between good and bad. So thus I know how to change, see the good or the bad. Well, what, what do you end up doing? There's, there's time, the word talks about that. The one whose consciences are what? With a hot iron, seared. You don't even know. You cannot discern good from evil anymore. Yes, uh, Deborah. Uh, or, uh, sorry, Alex, go ahead. Um, just like we were talking about those 400 uh, silent years and whatnot, one of the worst examples was the uh, ally- allied or their agreements with uh, Greeks or Romans. Yes. So closely they were intertwined in the temple. Uh, they were being, the high priest was being appointed by Herod who was nasty the hair of the great was nasty um so you know we got to look at that for you know uh we got to watch who our allies are and well we 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 are to stand apart yeah um and we have to keep that perspective at all times yeah you know it goes back to that old uh don't know if it's exactly an aphorism it's always quoted to uh benjamin franklin whether he actually said it or not but it definitely fits in with the the spirit that you see of the framers of the time period of this particular country. And, you know, after the con- Constitutional Convention, they came out and they asked him, well, hey, what did you make? And he said, well, a republic, if you can keep it. And that's the thing, is that that's a part of what the covenant is. And you see that in Genesis 17. It is a covenant if you can keep it. And what the, the lesson that you see at the end of Deuteronomy is, hey, it's not out there. You have to go reaching up. You have to go up to um, the Mount Olympus and try to you know, drink of this and drink of that, and hopefully you get some inspiration. No, it says the word is close to you. It's, it's in your mouth. It's in your mouth. So that part of you know, keeping the covenant starts within before it goes to without. Because you can be a wolf with sheep's clothing on, but 
eventually people see the wolf inside the sheep's clothing. And certainly the career of heaven and earth has no, uh, no uh, deception whatsoever to see what's going on inside. Yes. What big teeth you have. Yes. <laughs> yes. So that is one of the, the key parts of this uh, particular lesson is uh, that sense of do you see what the deal is with the land? It's not just a place. It is what that place represents. It is to be, you know, it's like what you look about, hey, next year in Jerusalem. Because of the particular GPS coordinates? No. It's because of who dwelled there, who made a promise there, who came there, who died, resurrected there, and who's going to be coming again, landing there, and what is going to descend upon there, that is why that particular location has the significance. So, oh, yes, Larry, I'm sorry. Uh, please, go on. I was going to say, one of the, that's one of, the, one of the, the, uh, such a tragedy of that mis, mistranslation where it says, and I forget where it was, I was trying to look it up, where it says it is merely a shadow. <laughs> yes, oh. Right, they're in Hebrews. Yeah. And it really means it's a shadow, so watch for the guy that's casting the shadow. Yes. A shadow, a pattern. Yeah. A pattern of the, what is coming. Oh, yes, Anne, go, go ahead, please. Yeah, so along with that now, I think, <laughs> what it was I wouldn't say. Uh, <laughs> come back later. <laughs> all right i think that uh oh yes uh and go ahead please well, <laughs> yeah so i listened to monty judah this morning and uh, update world update and he talked a lot about ezekiel and and also uh leklaha there was something else going on with that but uh, Jews in Israel, they had re-elected Netanyahu, and he's got like a 65% uh, percent of the vote. So, um, and in in the new cabinet, they're going to be the the two kinds of uh, of Orthodox religion and the Orthodox and the Reformed. And uh, so, there's a big contingent there of uh, of of those that want the temple to be or a, an altar and as part of the part of the uh you know the the old the, the temple area there to be open to the jewish people so it's it's a big uh, it, you know a step in towards the the future of having the the altar started again and um so the whole the whole uh a lot more of the scriptures are coming fulfilled and we need to keep watching that you know see how that's going to work out mm -hmm. And even in our own country, we have the election on Tuesday. Um, so keep it in prayer, you know. that. Yes. And there are supposed to be a lot of poll watchers watching to make sure that there won't, won't be any uh, theft of the vote this time around. I mean, well, it's, it's, it's one of those things that you, you just have to look at the soul of the, the nation, whether you're talking about modern Israel or 
this particular country. This particular country started out with the ideal of what it was that was started there in Israel and how Israel is formed. But the the point is is that when you get to a place where um, you know you have your ideals for the temple and it being set back aside as a great place. But there's also Tel Aviv. You know, there's still Tel Aviv. And we have the ideals of this particular nation and how it was founded to have respect for other people. But then there's California. So one of those things that you're, you're looking at, the, where does that happen? That happens with the particular soul of the country the soul of the country so we as individuals we as individuals can be a light in the darkness wherever we are and may we be a brighter light than lot was so that if there is ever a time where <laughs> There's like, okay, we got to drag them out. That um, there is at least, we have left behind the minion, at least 10, that say, hey, where we are is spared because of the, the lights that God has shown through us and those around us. So, yeah, may that be, may that be true. Because we just never know how much of it has been shown mercy because of those who do hold hold fast to it. So we don't know how much has been shown mercy because of those who hold fast to the dedication of what Israel was originally founded to be as a light to the nations, despite Tel Aviv or wherever else. So, yes. Uh, any last thoughts here as we close out? Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, Rose, then Larry. Yes. I watched an interview uh, with uh, Netanyahu last night. Uh, he seems like a very delightful man and really dedicated to Israel and wanting to do the right thing for Israel. And he also wrote an autobiography called Bibi. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's out in print now. Mm -hmm. That's what that's what his mother called him when he was little was BB yeah. for Benjamin. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's it's what it's one of those things that you can you can be a very effective leader is you make sure that it's your your house is cleaned out and that there's nothing lurking lurking in the corners. Because as you see that there's been a number of leaders that have been very effective but they leave some corners of their life with stuff lurking in, in, the, in the side and they don't deal with those. So may we all have our corners swept out and that we fill our house with the Spirit of God so that you, know, you don't have it occupied again by something worse than what was there before. And thus, uh, we are not facing the same thing that you see uh, in Revelation, where it says, well, I'm going to take your candle out of its place, and with the idea, hey, it's going to get replaced with another lamp put in its place. 
So may our may our lamp burn brightly and won't get replaced and still be a service to the whole world in shining light. Um, yes, go ahead, Larry. I'm sorry to be going on. I was thinking when we were talking about this that we, we say that that thing about in the beginning was Isaiah Isaiah 53, where we say if you turn your foot from your own things and on a Sabbath. He said it. Oh, yes. Pardon? Isaiah, yes. Isaiah 53 or 58? Isaiah 58, 13, 14. If you keep the Sabbath, um, call it a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and honor it, desisting from your own ways, seeking your own pleasure, and speaking your own word. Then you will take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So we're coming back to this thing with how important is keeping the Sabbath? Well, it's the beginning of everything, apparently. If you do it, just by doing it, you'll be getting closer to God and he'll be teaching you things and you'll learn what you need to know. Because it is a memorial of what? Two things. Yeah. Of of the creation at the end of the creation. Who has actually got this in motion and where everything comes from. And then where everything is going to end. And where it's going to end. Where rest, truly, where things reach their completion together. It's an interesting yes. thing, and I think it's a good thing for us to remember. So we, when we talk to people, they say, well, what are you doing this for? <laughs> well, it's because it's a real easy way to get God to show you what you need to know in order to survive. Yeah, right. That's correct. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info.